United States, if we lose, if we lose water, you have seven days before people lose their collective minds. I've gone to Puerto Rico by myself and sat there and supplied over 5,000 people with drinking water. I've done it in Flint, Michigan with a big machine, supplied an entire neighborhood this with water. This water is so good. When I say this water is here, this water is here. And, uh, we're so grateful for this water that tastes so good. Better tasting water than any water I've ever had in my life, for sure. We need to be thinking more proactive and less reactive. Let's get it. So Hustle Fam, Hustle Fam, we are back with another amazing episode. And today I have a really, really, really special guest, man. We are going to talk about some of the basic necessities of life, right? Like in life, we have some basic needs. I think it's, is it called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs? Have you ever heard of that before? Yes, I have. Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And, and I don't know if this is one of them, but regardless if it is or isn't, water is definitely a need. And uh, what you're doing, Mr. West, is incredible, uh, to, to, for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, I came across your content a few months ago. I was really, really, really um, just, 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 just interested in it, man. Just really wanted to dive deeper and learn more about it. Uh, because what you're doing with the Moses West Foundation with AWG Contractors, is that it? I don't, I don't want to slaughter the acronyms. AWG Contractors. AWG Contractors. You are building atmospheric uh, water generators. Exactly. Is that right? Exactly. So far, I'm two for two. All right, cool. So, and, and, and what this does is actually creates water out of like thin air, right? Exactly. All right. Creating water out of thin air. And this is going to be something that is huge now, especially with what's going on in our country with uh, droughts, um, like, you know, water deserts and, uh, you know, contaminated water and just so much going on with our water, causing so much sickness, so much disease that we don't even know about that. You know, this is super important. This is way more important than people probably realize, even watching this right now. Right. So. Thank you so much for joining me on on, on the show, and um, I, I, I'm, I'm honored to be here, man. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me, and, and I'm honored to be here as well, and thank you for uh, uh, just honored to have you all find this information out there, the number of people that are finally becoming aware of it, and uh, uh, putting something to all this work that I've done for these years. For sure, and you've been doing it for years, like we just now talked about. We'll, Long we'll, time. And, and we'll get into that. <laughs> But just for the people who's just kind of tuning in right now, just kind of give us an idea of what the atmospheric water generator is, kind of what it does, and then we'll kind of get back into the story of how we got to it. Oh, exactly. Cool. Exactly. Right? It, it, where we're sitting right now is a, is a great example of, uh, of, of how uh, to explain this. Okay, we know the water comes in three forms. It comes as a liquid, it comes as a solid, and it comes as a gas. If you look at a periodic table on the wall, it says H2O. It's one of the elements. You look at it. It's just hydrogen and oxygen. Three ways it comes. It comes as a liquid, it comes as a solid, and it comes as a gas. That's the only way it exists on the face of the earth. And here we are looking at this big, beautiful lake. And what that is, that is water in one of the most abundant forms that we have it on the earth in its liquid state. And then we have it in the solid state. And so all we'll have to do is think about the North Pole, the South Pole. 
what's there? Right. So ice. Ice, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, if we look up in the sky, what do you see? Clouds. A lot of them. You go outside, what do you feel in the air? I feel wind, coolness, air. Humidity. Hum humidity. humidity. A lot of that right now, too. Humidity. Yeah. So for every woman in Chicago today, and a lot of guys too, if you went out today <laughs> and you went and spent $80 on a hairdo, the first thing you are cussing is, <laughs> man, that humidity. Right. right. I, I just spent 80 bucks on this. Look at this thing. Yeah. It looks like a poodle now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that humidity that we always complain about, that is, that is water in the gaseous state. And it's everywhere. And so when we when we have people sitting in um, in Africa, they're saying, oh, my God, there, there's no water. It's, it's 90 degrees and it's 95 percent humidity. But all the water is gone from the lake. Only thing that you're doing is you're standing in your water and you need something what like what I've uh, innovated to pull that out using technology. Mm. So that's what I do. Gotcha. I just condense water in uh, massive quantities. I've made over, I stopped counting at a million gallons. A million, over a million gallons. And when I got to a million gallons, I was like, I'm not, I'm not buying another meter. <laughs> I'm done. Got it. Got it. <laughs> I love it. So just to put this in, in context, what is going on with our water right now? The everyday water that we drink, that we bathe in, just give us an idea what 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 we're doing to ourselves while we drink and use that water. Okay, this is a this is not a loaded question anymore because I'm at a stage of my life where I just have to tell the truth. There you go. There's no there's no need to lie to anybody anymore, or there's no need to sugarcoat anything. So I'm like that. I don't want to be the messenger of doom, but you need to understand where we're at because you're going to get caught out. So we take from A to Z with our water here in the United States right now. Uh, there's something called prefluorinated compounds, PFOAs. We have something called microplastics. And then all the industry that we have on the face of the United States, on the face of the earth, what we've done is we have these chemical plants and we put, uh, we put microchemicals in the air, atomized chemicals in the air. We put Roundup on the ground. We put fertilizer on the ground. We put uh, genetically modified chemicals uh, on plants to, so that they'll live. And then when it rains, all this goes into the watershed. It goes into the food supply. So from east coast to west coast, north to south, it is difficult to find a, municipal, a, mist, a municipality's water or groundwater today that is not tainted. And all of us sitting in this room right now, if you tested our blood, we probably have chemicals in our bodies that were brought to us from the things we sit on, the things we touch, the things we eat, the showers that we shower in and breathe the air, the water we swim in. We have a serious contamination issue. And not only do we have a contamination issue, what was it this summer? It was hot. Right. Globally, it was hot. It was hot in places that don't get hot. In Siberia right now, there's a forest fire raging in Siberia that is bigger 
than all of the forest fires on the entire planet. And it's raging right now in Siberia. Now, this should get everybody's attention because Siberia sits on top of permafrost, ice that's in the ground. Okay. But everything on top of it's on fire. Right. right. Yeah. Right, yeah. And all the methane that's under the ground right now is popping out, and that's that's burning that. It's helping that fire burn. So all of these different things that are happening around the world today affect how our water supply gets to us, how clean it is, how much we have, and and right now I would say we're in we're in dire straits, and we need to do something on a massive scale to correct this situation. Got it. Is it reversible? Is there something that can be done? I think uh, we've done we've done enough damage right now. I think it's it's um, we talked about this earlier. Yeah, I said it's like we had we had this massive we had this massive war in in uh, World War Two, in December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor was bombed, and then a year later we have this massive industrial complex everybody in the united states pulled together and we we went to war and we won right but everybody in the united states pulled together to do it the climate war that we have right now is going to take that type of effort mm. it's going to take it's going to take a marshall plan it's going to take a an eisenhower plan that's what it's going to take to for all of us to pull together and have a sustainable way of living change the way that we produce our food, the way that we we harvest our water, and the way that we treat the environment. Got it. So with the atmospheric water generators, is it because the water is in a controlled environment or being made in a controlled environment? That's what makes it different from the water that we consume and we bathe in regularly? What's, what's the difference? Because it's still coming from the same sky and Right. The same mm -hmm. things that are around us that's still being contaminated. So what makes this water better than the water that we currently have? That is an excellent question. And I'm so glad it's get being put on tape because this is going to stop 10,000 emails. <laughs> <laughs> All the water is contaminated. You say, why isn't your water contaminated? Well, here's why it's not contaminated. We, in the very beginning of the conversation, we talked about the periodic table and the H2O that sits up there in that little square. Well, H2O is a, it's a molecule that sits out there and we're looking at a bunch of them right there, but they're attached to another chemical. So when you have an atmospheric water generator, like the glass is sitting over there with a little bit of ice in it and that moisture starts to form on the outside, it just came out of the air. It's only pulling the H2O molecule, nothing with it. It's not pulling benzene. It's not pulling methane. It's not pulling uh, uh, methyl ethyl ketones. It's not pulling any other chemical because it's set to a dew point where only the H2O molecule and everything else is like, see ya. <laughs> no, don't, no, got no room for you. This is only for the H2O crowd. <laughs> right, right. You know? So all the H2Os are like, yeah, man, we got a place to hang out. So they hang out enough of them, then they drop down into a pan. It's nothing but H2O. You filter the air coming into the machine. I'm making 2,500 gallons a day out of a machine. 
You look inside, it's all raining. It's all just a straight up H2O. Mm. And then you say, well, what can you do with just straight up H2O? Everything. Remineralize it if you want. Tailor it. Make moonshine. Put it on your crops because now there's no microplastics in it. I just took it from its pure state, give you thousands of gallons of it, put that on your plants, put some fertilizer on your plants with it. Microplastics are gone. Drink that. No microplastics, no chemicals, no mm. chlorine, no fluoride. Mm. Only stuff in that water is what you want to put in it. Got it. So so this is a, a filter, right? That that is it's a filtration system. No. It is, I'm missing it. Only thing you're doing is you're the, the same way. Think about this. If we go over to the lake right now, we put a put a pipe in the lake and we pump it out. Yeah. And then put it into a tap because that's water pulling it from the from the liquid state. Yeah. You push a pipe into the ground. You do the same thing. Take some ice, melt that ice on a stove. You did that. This is what this is. An atmospheric water generator is a tap. It's a water tap to the air because if i set one out there right now today and we come back in an hour and it's sitting in the field running on solar power you're going to turn the tap you're going to get a glass of water mm. so you're just you're tapping the air okay and there's quadrillions of gallons of water all these clouds up there they're just running around screaming condense me <laughs> <laughs> got it got it okay condense me what what materials is this generator made of oh there's something called National Sanitation Foundation 61. And huh? National San NSF 61. Okay. If you look at the cleaners in your house, they'll say NSF 62. Okay. But everything in the kitchen, from the water spigot to the countertop to the stainless steel fittings to everything that you see in a kitchen or in a restaurant, when you go back in there to where all the food is made, the stainless steel, it's all, it's all got a rating of NSF 61, food grade rating coating everything no chemicals nothing that's going to leach in your food everything inside the machine that i build has got an nsf 61 rating from where the air comes in to the surface area where the water is produced to the pan where it goes i just make the pans out of stainless steel and just be done with it so if the regulatory agencies they want to say let me check your machine i open it up it's stainless steel and they're like damn <laughs> Brother had a jump on us. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what are they hoping to find when they when they do that? I don't know. <laughs> Something tin, plastic, so you know, some you know, some cheap thing. Yeah. So you know, people like you get a little sticker shop when you see the machine. But what I did is I build a machine that's uh my my machines are gonna outlive me. I'm building some machines right now for the military. I'm thinking the machine's gonna outlive me. Right. But that's what I want to do. Right. So it's like when you, uh, so everything on the machine, the the coatings have to be perfect and correct so that you make sure that the person is always getting a quality grade of water from a quality product that is going to last long. Because when you're going to spend that kind of money on a product that's going to save your life, you want it to work when everything else is failing. Yeah. And you want it to be good. How much how much technology, how much math, how much science is involved in this machine? Oh, an excessive amount. But just like we're working with microphones and we're working with cameras. So if you took a microphone apart right now, and you said, OK, 
let's do all the calculations and make this thing work. Right. You're going to be, oh, my, my head hurts. <laughs> right. You need, you need a mountain of textbooks just to get a microphone to work, a light, a camera. Well, in a machine, what I've done is I've limited the moving parts. So everybody understands what a compressor is. Yeah. Storage tanks, metal, different grades of metal, uh, a computer program, a PLC, just like your, it's just like your iPhone, but it operates the machine. Plug it in, plug it out, same thing. So the math and science that goes in the machine has to do with how much air it comes in, how fast it goes in, the surface area to how much water is gonna produce, how fast the water pumps out. And all those calculations, once you do the formulas, I could teach it to high school kids. Are there any like particular like settings that have to always be perfect? Is there any particular climates that this doesn't work in? Is there any like outside factors that would impact the machine from working properly? Most definitely. So when you get down around 20% humidity, it really doesn't want to work that good. But that really doesn't matter these days because there's other technologies I can add with this that'll help it to work better under 20 degrees uh, under 20% humidity. Mm. And then when the machine is sitting there, the military, they'll say to me, I'll say, because well, I can custom build machines. GTT Commercial Tires is a tire store that's designed with the owner operator in mind. It serves as a helpful community where you are always their number one priority. Whether you're a new owner operator or you've been driving for years, their mission is the same, to keep owner operators in business. That's why they go above and beyond providing superior customer service when you actually need it, educating you on proper tire care and delivering a no BS sales experience. With two conveniently located stores in Richmond and Petersburg, Virginia, and almost 2,000 five-star Google reviews, they are truly raising the bar and setting a new standard in tire care. Make sure you call 1-800-991-6251 to schedule your appointment now and tell them Truck & Hustle sent you. That's another thing I do that people don't know. So if you say, I, someone will say, how much water? I'll say, how much water do you want? I say, oh, I do like 5,000 gallons a day. I was like, okay, not a problem. I will custom build you a machine that does that. Mm. So I'm a custom builder as well. Got it. So when the machine, when someone says, okay, how easy is it to work? The military will say, I'll say to them, so, so what grade level do you want it? And go, oh man, let's go with eighth grade. I said, okay, let's go with eighth grade. So they tell me eighth grade, I'll go to six. Sixth grade. Mm. So a sixth grader will be able to see my machine, look at it, and all of those sixth grade friends, which look smarter than a lot of seniors today, actually, <laughs> <laughs> as a fact, they'll go up there and say, that button says on. End of story. Right. The next thing they know is water spitting out. Wow. And then there's like, they'll, they'll see the fittings on there and say, well, that looks like a hose fits on there. They'll put the hose on there. That's it. Got it. So in the beginning of the processes, it starts like a, this is an empty box. This process starts and then before you know it, there's water. Like yeah. it, that's pretty much how it works. How pretty long much. does that process kind of take? Let, I know I know you could do like millions of gallons or whatever, but let's say for your standard deliverable, what you'd normally do. I don't know how much gallons that would be to the military. What what, what is that typically? Oh, they like they like about they like three hundred gallons. Okay, a so day. for three hundred gallons, 
per day. So for 300, how long does that take to create, to make that water out of thin air? 24 hours. 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Got you. And you're starting this process at night, during the day. Does it matter? Doesn't matter. Okay. Anytime, night or day. As soon as you get it, take it out of the box, start it up, come back 24 hours. It's, it's, it's good to go. You got a lot of water. What is the primary use that the military uses this water for? The military uses the water right now to support the troops in the field. Um, in Okinawa, the Marines actually had a, um, this was a really cool email to get. They had a building in Okinawa where the water was contaminated. So one of the units was going to the field. And so the, uh, I, I, I know not to call him Gunny now, because <laughs> he's a master sergeant now. Okay. So master sergeant, got, we got the email. And uh, there's a machine sitting in Okinawa right now at a marine barracks with contaminated water, making water for the whole barrack. That's in Okinawa. Yeah. We got towns right now in Arizona, and I build machines for the military that don't have water, but they don't have a machine. Right. They should. The federal government's got them. Yeah. 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 So that's one of the uses of the machines that the military has right now. The other one is... When I was in the military, we had to transport water. It's extremely heavy. If you pick up a water buffalo, I did a lot of things in the military. I was a pilot was one. So if you're sitting out there and you see a water buffalo, you know that thing is heavy. There's 400, there's 400 gallons of water in it. And so you sling that thing, you pick it up, you go sit it someplace. So you just took a whole aircraft or a whole truck, a whole crew to move 400 gallons of water. Mm. So you gotta move that thing. 10 miles. So 10 miles of hostile territory, and these guys are pulling a water buffalo, you know that it takes a lot of security. It takes a lot of fuel, and they got to get the water. Right. So if something happens to the water, you can actually lose the battle. That's a fact. So not anymore. You sit there, and it's like you got your little machine working and working on solar power. You're making 300 gallons of water a day. You got all the ammunition you need, and all you got to say is, we ain't coming out. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't coming out. Come, so, get, come so, get us. <laughs> so, so give, give us give us a visual of what the machine looks like for people because they're looking at us. They don't see the machine, oh. right? So, what does the machine look like if it was if it was sitting right in front of you? If a machine is sitting right in front of us, it's um, it looks like a square box. It's a square box. It has uh, air intakes on it, and then it has a it has a place where the air flows out. So, air flows in, air flows out. Pretty much it. You got a plug on the side and you got to place a LED screen on the side where you just turn it off and on. Shows all the processes in the machine. But I'm always changing the design. And right now, um, you know how when you put a screen out in the sun and it bleaches out? Yeah. Well, my screens were exposed before. Now my screens are, you got to open a door to get to the screen. And so people who are like in neighborhoods that are not that good, they said, well, how do I protect it? Well, it's made out of steel, so just close the little doors, make sure everything's locked, and it should be good to go. Got it. And you said a plug. It runs by electric, or is it solar? Oh, another good question. So it works on solar, wind. It, it, it If you get enough hamsters running in a wheel <laughs> and put a generator on it, it's going to produce electricity. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I, I actually thought about putting, it's like going to a gym and you see everybody on those spin bikes and it's just killing it. Right. I said, you know what? Why don't we put a water generator on the roof and every time they got a spin class, we just put the power to the water generator. Y'all make a few hundred gallons of water a day. Right. You could do it. 
So when you have electricity, electricity is electricity is electricity. That electricity is coming out of that plug. If you got some solar panels sitting over here and the inverters, you're going to get 110 single phase off of solar. You're going to get 220 single phase off of solar, the same way you're going to get 220 single phase out of that plug. Mm. In Puerto Rico, I was working at 460 volts, industrial power, three phase, and that was from solar power. Wow. 460 volts. Yeah. I could say a, tell a joke about that, but I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> got it, got it. So, so aside from the, the the IP, the intellectual property, which is in your head, right? Which is like you can't put a number on that. How much does the solar? How, how much does this uh, cost to make? Like cost to build? How much does the water generator cost to yeah, build? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, it's like a, material. Oh my God! To, today, materials. The price of materials is going up so high. I can't keep up with it. I cannot keep up with the price of it. I mean, if I quote a price today, two weeks from now, that price It'll is going to Wow. Metal is four times the price today than mm -hmm. what I paid for two years ago. Gotcha. Fans, turbines, compressors, components. Uh, there's a switch that I put in the machine. It's um, made by a company called Allen Bradley. It's just a switch. Oh, I'm talking 250 bucks. Okay, just for the switch. A switch. Yeah. So... Quoting a price today is not the quote. The price is going to be tomorrow. Like I'm for the for the federal government right now, they understand this process and this problem, right? So they they don't mind the price increases. It is what it is. It, it, they, it is. They they need it. I just hope next year I'll be able to make machines. Got you, got you. Because you mean the cost of everything kind mm -hmm. of going up so much? No, it's not the cost. It's just the the absolute lack of components and parts. Got it. in the system. Got it. Got it. Okay. How'd you get started on this journey? Like, let's kind of go back a little bit and talk about you, because this is pretty interesting stuff that everybody doesn't do this. So how'd you get here? Tell me a little bit about your background. Okay. Well, it's a, you, you got to have, you, you have to have seen enough to, to, to kind of understand the, the passion that I have behind this. Uh, as a soldier in the military, I was in some places and they said, okay, you're going to drink some water out of that stream. And I was, okay, you have these little iodine capsules and you had to see which direction the stream was going. And I would look at that water and I'd say, you know what? Uh, I'm going to drink it because I'm thirsty. <laughs> right. You know? But I ain't going to like it. No, man. And <laughs> the first day, you might look at that water and you say, I'm not touching that stuff. Right. I'll tell you what, the third day, oh, you'd be hugging the ground. <laughs> You'll have your face in it. Yeah. And then um, and then uh, another thing that made me think about water all the time was how the democratization of water. Uh, when I would be with soldiers, especially with the Rangers, uh, you know, we, racism is a thing that we experience in our lives quite a bit. And we experience it in the military. But as a combat fighter, I would experience something when we had water and we ran out. I would carry two quart, two quart canteens uh, behind me. And I would save my water. And uh, there's this place that we knew that we got to when you knew that you were accepted and everything was equal and you stopped seeing another man's color. When you would take out some water and you would drink and another soldier would see you drinking water and he would be out and he would look at you and he would say, could I have a drink? Mm. 
And back in the place where we were just filling our canteens up and coming out every day, everybody would take the canteen off and pull their shirt and wipe it and want to spray antiseptic on it. Right. And then they take, then they would pour it in their mouth and take a drink. But when we're in these situations, you would throw a guy a canteen, he would take the top off, he wouldn't even look, and he'd put his lips on it and drink it, and he would hand it to another soldier and another soldier and another soldier, and nobody would wipe the top. It's the great equalizer. Water was the great equalizer. And that's, ask any soldier about it. You know when you made it, when you share a canteen and nobody wipes the top. <laughs> and then traveling the world, I got to see how water affected different countries. Australia is a hot mess. Either you got too much or you got too little. The house I lived in has been washed away. It was on the Hawkesbury River. You go up north, uh, you get up to a place called, there's a town called Brisbane. Then it goes to a place called Surfer's Paradise, and that's the Gold Coast. Then you go up the Sunshine Coast, and it goes up to Cairns. Then the Great Barrier Reef is on your right in the ocean. And then all the forests is to the left where they did a lot of farming. Well, they pulled the groundwater up. Now, I lived in Australia for 11 years. So they pulled the groundwater up. And so this, this heavy water like this made a barrier to the salt water in the ocean. And the same thing is happening in Florida and Texas right now. Mm. So when you pull that fresh water, what does the salt water do? It starts to come in. And all those tree roots that go down in the ground is called saltwater incursion. So when I'm standing there in Australia and I'm looking out at this big, beautiful ocean, you don't want to go swimming in it. <laughs> and you're looking over the land, you want to stay on the highway. You don't want to go too far in there either. And you're standing there and everything's dead. Wow. For as far as you can see, that's because they pulled up so much groundwater, the salt water took its place. And there's whole places that you look at this place and it looks like it's a wasteland. Yeah. Then living in Europe, I saw that. And that's how I got involved with this. I was in Hawaii and I was, I was uh, going to come back to the United States. And I was going to put cistern systems in people's houses. Okay. I said, man, this is a way to make money. There you go. Put them on the roof, put the tanks outside. I went to Germany, stayed in Germany for a whole year and studied nothing but cistern systems. And then I went to Hawaii and I saw this machine. And I was like, dang, that was a waste of time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I saw this little machine and I just said, you know, that little machine is really good. You know, it's sitting in this guy's house. Right. I'm condensing all the water in his house. He's sweating. His bathroom is right there, his shower. But it's only taking the H2O molecule and it's making fresh water. He got a couple cups and... It's some of the best water I had. And it was just this little machine just doing that. And I said, man, if somebody can make a little one, I can make a big one. Got it. And that's how I, that's how so, I got so, started. So that's the origin of it. You, 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 off the cistern system. How do you pronounce it? Cister cistern. Cistern system. Yeah. <clears throat> and how did, but how did you understand the technology? Because, I mean, I could look at a cistern system and I don't know how to recreate it. So, like, w did you have a background in that type of stuff? Like, where did it come from? I lived in a house, see, that's where the traveling comes in. Because I lived in so many places. I'm living in Australia. I was up in the, um, I was up in a place called Kurjong Heights. I didn't have any water pipes. I had this, uh, it was about big, about a 5,000 square foot house, but underneath the house, when I, when I got the house to rent it, it says, oh, don't worry, your water comes from the basement. He says, oh, explain this to me. 
So I went down to the basement, pulled up this big hatch, and stuck my head down in there. There was an Olympic swimming pool under my house. <laughs> oh, God. It was this big thing full of water. So yeah. when the rain hit the roof, it went down through the pipes and went under my house. Then it was pumped out of that through a filtration system. I never ran out of water. But then I saw the truck have to come up, the people who use a lot of water, they have to pump it into their cistern systems. Okay. So that the traveling part got me to understand different methods of water production and how people used it and how it affected people around the world. And then when I was in Hawaii, coming back to the United States to go implement this system that we've used since the beginning of time, I, I saw... I saw like my first Model T. <laughs> Got you. I saw my Model T, and I was thinking of a of a Tesla. Mm. I said, "That's a Model T. I want a Tesla." Right, right. <laughs> so, so what what did you do to innovate that that product? And and um, like, what what was your first like proof of concept? Like, once once you started this building it or innovating on that system. Like, who'd you give it to first? Did you use it first? How'd you know it worked? How'd you test it? Like, tell me about that. How I knew it worked was going back to the periodic table and just this three sources of water, liquid, solid, and gas. And then being a pilot in the Army, um, I would be at a, I'd be at a flight level where the sky was just white above me. It was like a cloud layer. And the Chinook, the blades would would hit that and I could see it swirl there. Right. And then the ground is all down, it's beautiful green down below you. So we have a thing called a ceiling. So certain days of the ceiling's too low, you can't fly. And then I pull up into that thing and it's called being um, IMC, uh, uh, flying, you gotta fly instruments, flying. And so going up into that and I'm flying along doing, you know, 150, 160 knots, I'm in a cloud. And I remember the water would just start streaming down the windscreen, mm. just streaming down the windscreen. I couldn't wait to get out of it, get up above it so you could see again, but the whole aircraft would be wet. So all of these things put together throughout my life, through the traveling, through the flying, through the, the army on the ground with the rangers and the canteens and the aircraft and waking up in the morning, everything's soaking wet. We all have this imperial, em, empirical knowledge of what's going on around us with water. And then when we find out that there's all this water in the atmosphere, there's not much calculation that you have to do to realize you see it on the glass every time you have a cold drink outside. You do. Correct. So that one machine was the kicking ass to push me over the edge. And I'm the kind of person you push me in a direction. And there's something that you say that you, I think that I can do, and someone tells me I can't do it, the competition is on. Yeah. So I've been at this for a long time, and people said it wasn't possible. It couldn't be done. You can never make it happen. Well, I'm selling to the United States military. Yeah. So we know it can happen, and we know it's feasible. So the process to get there, it was just believing in myself, Believing in the science that I made for myself to produce this technology and going forward and doing it. Because all of the information was there for us to see. Like I said earlier, just talk to anybody who's just got their hair done in, in, a, <laughs> in right. a coastal state. You right, know? right. 
So, 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 how did you connect with the military? Like, was it something that you had to pitch to them, or did they come find you? How how did that whole situation happen? There's a funny story behind that. the The colonel, his name is Colonel Davis, and he was with the uh, Texas Texas uh, military forces. And I was driving my car around. I was like, I put my clothes on, get out of my car, walk into this building, go talk to these people, and and pitch this idea. I had little brochures made up. <laughs> right. I was writing to companies in China, Indonesia, Japan, anybody who had anything that said they were making some water out of a machine. Right. And so one day I was just like, uh, I, I gotta, I'm a cyclist. A cyclist? Yeah. Like ride bikes? Bicycles. Okay. Oh yeah, I've been on some long bike trips. Got it. I'll tell you about it one day. Okay. And so I was like, yo, the best way for me to do this, I gotta ride my bike. Cause all I gotta do is just, I'm thinking, my blood's flowing, but I'm wearing all that skin tight stuff. Got my bike <laughs> shoes on, my helmet. And Colonel Davis, I was on a military base one day, and I was just like, you know what? Just let me go pitch this to this base commander. Rode my bike up. And what year is this, just for context? Oh, God. This is like, this has got to be 20, 2014. Okay. 2013, 2014, something. In okay. There. Now, at this point, you haven't sold anything. You haven't, you're just, this is a brand new product, right? I haven't done anything. Any, nothing. You just, you're just, just thinking about it in my got head. It. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. So I, I showed up and uh, I walked up to the, the adjutant was sitting there and I was in my bike stuff. I was like, excuse me, is the, is the commander in? And he goes, yeah, can I ask you? I said, Captain West, I wanna, I'd like to talk to him. And so what I did was, um, he said, yeah, he invited me in. I walked in and he goes, that's an interesting outfit. So yeah, sir, I'm just out riding my bike, but I've got something I want to tell you about. And so being having that uh, that uh, communication that soldiers have, it didn't matter what I had on, and he understood water. He goes, that sounds like a really good idea. Mm. He goes, now if you can go over and con con convince this PhD scientist who does all of our research on this base, if she goes for it, we'll try to back you. Okay. And that was the start. Okay. So she went for it. Yeah, she went for it. I did it. I did it on my bicycle. Got it. So what what was the first order? The first thing was was I had to prove it. So then <clears> I went they I had to go down, I had to pitch it to Texas A and M. And so the the folks at the Texas A and M branch in uh in San Antonio, he's an older guy. He's like, I'm not having any part of this. But then his <laughs> science, his uh engineers that work for him said, Man, we're all over this. He goes, I was doing this presentation to him with him. I thought I was dying on the vine. <laughs> I was sitting there and I hear I'm telling these PhDs about the hydrologic cycle idea. You know, I haven't done this for years. Right. I can see him going to sleep. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I was waiting for, you know, that cane that comes out on the stage and pulls someone yeah, off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or you're like, you're at the Apollo Theater and they boo you off the stage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But when I got to the place where I said I could make a, a liter of water, at 0 0.12, 0 0.12 kilowatts per liter, they stopped the presses. Mm. Everybody was, I was trying to get out of there, but I put that screen up and everybody leaned forward in their chairs. I didn't know what was going on. I just wanted out of there by then. <laughs> right. And then uh, I went to the next slide and the whole room erupted. Everybody said, no, go back, go back, go back. I'm like, what? So I went back to that next slide and then the, I remember the guy, the instructor looked over, he said, 
does anybody else want to tell him or do you want me to tell him? Okay. I was like, well, tell me what? So I'm brand new to this. Right. And he goes, if you can make a liter of water at 0.12 kilowatts per liter, you're matching groundwater. Mm. He goes, we're behind it. Mm. So then I just had to get an investor to get the initial stuff to get started. And, and I was off to the races. And the next thing I knew is I hit 0.08 kilowatts per liter. Then I hit 0.05. And now I'm trying to put some more zeros in there. <laughs> got it. Got it. So so when you initially pitch the product, are you pitching it as just for the soldiers to be able to have water pretty much in anywhere? Or is it the, the clean, clean aspect of it? Is that even like a part of it? Or is it just like we just need water? Doesn't really matter what's in how to if you create water, that's it. Are they even thinking about the fact that this water is cleaner than, you know, other water that's out there in in, in the world? Both. Both and all of the above. Okay. So not only are you pitching the, uh, the, uh, the ability to have water, a mobile source of water, a cleaner source of water, a resilient, reliable source of water. That's just one aspect of it. If we have a hurricane, we truck water into a hurricane. It's hot. The air is full of water. There's water everywhere. The hurricane just came through. If everybody had these systems in a hurricane, all they would have to do is at the police station, fire department, the hospital, pull them out, turn them on. They wouldn't have to wait for a truck to come and deliver water. Right. It's a change in the paradigm. So we just talked about two. If you've got, if you're a distiller and you want to make alcohol and you can't get a good consistency in the chemical makeup of your water, have this technology. You're going to have the best spirits on the market. If you're a chemical manufacturer, pharmaceutical manufacturer, and you can't get enough water to do the process you need to do to make the chemicals you need to make, you need that clean source of water. Here's that source of water. If you need to do dialysis and you're in a place that's got contaminated water, the filtration system for dialysis is so high it's costing that patient money. It's costing mm -hmm. us money because we have to pay their insurance if they don't have enough money. Right. Here's a source of water right now that's almost ready for dialysis. Right. A little more filtration, you're ready to go. So there's so many uses because there's nothing that we can do each day. We can't make a pair of shoes, a pair of pants, a microphone, a floor panel, paint. We can't do anything without water. That's right. Not one thing. And if a place is out of water, it's out of groundwater, and they can't use ocean water, and it's hot and it's humid, just tap into that third source. So the, the, the things that you can do with this technology, you just have to think outside of the box. Do it for home use, do it for emergency use, do it for municipal use, do it for industry. It's a source of water that advancing this technology to a place. If we got all the universities in the United States to pull together just to work on this, we we will be moving towards a solution for the future to give to our kids. Mm. I love it. What, what were there any challenges getting started? What what what, what was trying to get in your way? What, what were some of the hurdles? <clears throat> oh, the hurdles. The hurdles is, uh, let's see, 
you go into a room and you talk to a bunch of people and and then um, I'll give you just an example of some of the comments. It's like, Moses, how did someone like you get so smart? <laughs> Moses, <laughs> how did someone like you learn to speak so well? Moses, how did someone like you get such good table manners? How did someone like you? I heard that so much uh, over the first few years. And then I realized um, I have to be honest with you. I have to be honest with your audience. I have to be honest with myself. And I just have to tell you that uh, racism is a, it's a, it's a disease. And some people cannot get over seeing a person for the color of their skin. It doesn't matter. You could be saving someone's life, and sometimes all they see is a black man. And I have experienced that so much over the past few years. The, pl the one place where I do not experience that, it's, it's with the United States military. The military had its problems in the day. It still has its problems today. But when I work with the federal government, they see me as the person I was with them. They see me as another human being, and they see me with someone as uh, who's got a solution to a problem. Whereas in the civilian market, in the civilian community, I uh, this this thing is it's a it's a monumental thing to overcome. Mm. From manufacturers to the way they talk to you, the way they treat you, the way uh, it, it's incredible. And the higher you go up in the in in something, uh, I the the worse it gets. So you really have to have a a lot of determination, a very thick skin, and um, you 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 have to have strength for the fight. The Tuskegee Airmen always used to say, "We have to have strength for the fight." And so those guys, they what they did, they survived that, and they. They never lost the bomber. They never lost the bomber. They're right. the only unit in World War II escorts to never lose a bomber. So I think back on our history as I'm sitting here taking all this flack and, and I'm still doing it because I think kids out there who look like me, they need to see me continue on. Yeah. And in the face of everything that happens, keep a good face on it and just keep moving forward. Are, are you working to get this in the private sector or are you just focused more so just on military or is it a part of your mission to get this to where every household has one of these units? Everywhere. Uh, this, this technology needs to be everywhere. If I, could have, if I could have gone down the civilian path to get this done, I would have done that. And I'm still trying to do that. There are some civilian models out there that I put out there for people. They have bought them. But right now, it's, it's across the board where everyone needs it. And so the water problems that we have right now in the United States, and we've talked about them, the chemicals in the water, the droughts in California, the uh, saltwater incursion down in Florida. And so right now, um, most definitely, this needs to be uh, in the hands of civilians. Is there a way to make it cost effective for civilians? Because, I mean, you spoke to the cost of creating it and making it. So is there a way to do it to where every household could have this? Almost definitely. It's a economy of scale. Gotcha. Okay, like right now, if uh, I make machines for the military, they call up and say, we need 10 machines. We need 20 machines. 
That's one thing. But now, like in California, when they call up and say, hey, we need you know, 500,000 machines. God, the price just went through. <laughs> the price just went through the floor. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's jobs. Every, we're making machines. They're going out the door. It becomes, a, it becomes a, a household item, which I think it should have been a household item a long time ago. But what's really funny is I was screaming about this years ago. It's like, hey, guys. We got about five years till the wheels fall off the bus. Well, the wheels fell off the bus mm. and they didn't get on it then, but the phone hasn't stopped ringing today. Wow. Who's calling? It's not, it, we shouldn't say who's calling. Who's we not should, calling? There you go. <laughs> there you go. Who's not calling? Wow. I had to, I, yeah, I, I had to bring on. I had to bring on a great team of people. To, I, I, I was just going to ask that about your team. Oh, talk, talk, talk to me about that because I know you can't be doing this all, all alone. Oh no, 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 no. We've got a great team of folks. Apollo has just been absolutely fantastic, and my my uh, my contracting officer Dexter Moon. Let me tell you something. That, that he's a he's a logistics he's a logistics NCO. I'm a logistics officer. Mm. As a test pilot in the military, you're a logistics officer. So all the supplies and everything to keep aircraft moving in the air, as a test pilot, that's what I did. And it just so happens I met a guy who was a flight engineer on C5, C141, C17s, and that's Dexter Moon. He's my contracting officer. Got it. And I was a pilot in the Army. So our fit is just absolutely perfect. <laughs> got you. Got you. What, what What about on the building side? I mean, <clears throat> like, do you have anybody helping you build these? Or are you just Oh, most definitely. Okay. I have a, I have a, I usually contract my manufacturing out because uh, I just, I just now moved from Texas up to this part of the world. But I still have an, I still maintain an address in Texas, but I manufacture here. Okay. Because this, hey, this is where we built cars. That's true. This is Frigidaire's up here. Whirlpool, <laughs> you know, General Electric. All the military equipment's made right up here in this corridor. Yeah. I mean, down in Texas, I mean, that's like uh, agriculture, tequila, flip-flops, spring break, you know. This is this is where the industry's at. Yeah. What was what's the proudest moment you you had with somebody using uh, your machine? A group or a person or tell, tell me about that. The United States Marine Corps. It's like if I had to do it all over again. Well, I'm a ranger. I'm proud to be a ranger. I'm proud of that. Once a ranger, always a ranger. But if I say if I had to do it all over again, oh my goodness, I would have I would have definitely gone. Either Navy, Marines would have went straight uh, to SEALs, done all that, then finished that, went to Navy flight school, finished that. Got it. So when the Marines called me up and said, hey, we want to build, we want you to build some machines for us. And when the machines went to the field and they started sending me pictures back, I said, God, <laughs> I got my stuff with the Marines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, for sure. Yeah. So, so how many, like, just give me an idea of what you're looking like now in terms of building machines. How many machines are you building, I guess, weekly, monthly? What's the cadence? How do you look at it? Well, right now, this year is probably going to be one of the best years. And uh, because of all the things that are happening globally with water in the United States with water and the military is coming on board with it. 
So uh, right now, this year, we're looking to have one of the best years I've ever had in this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So right now, I've got I'm I've redesigned a machine because you can't stay static in what you do if you're building something like this. So as after I sit down and I look at a piece of equipment for a while, it's like, how can I do it better? I'm a brother with a lot of time on his hands. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm always sitting there and I'm always thinking about what can I do better? And then when I get with a good group of engineers, now I make a quality product, but what I'm making right now is the best that I've ever made. All right, guys, listen, before we continue the show, I gotta give a shout out to our sponsor and our partner, OTR Solutions, formerly OTR Capital. But listen, guys, OTR is much, much more than just a factoring company. They provide so many solutions to help the small carrier not only get into business, but to stay in business and maintain, right? So you guys have to partner with them and check them out. Don't take my advice for it. Talk to their clients, right? Talk to their clients. Find out what the people are saying. Everybody will tell you the same thing. So make sure you give OTR Solutions a call at 470-900-3338 or click the link in the bio below. Make sure you check them out and tell them Truck and Hustle sent you. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it. changed, so you, changed you, a couple it, things. It made a few iterations airflow. and... Oh, most definitely. You, you got it to where it's uh, 2.0 or 3.0. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because you know, even just changing the changing airflow and pressure and temperature gradients and surface areas and fins per, there's a lot you can just go over, and it just changes the whole system. Yeah, got it. So, so for people listening right now who don't have access to to your 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 uh, machine, and they still have to drink water every day. They still have to bathe every day. What, what, what's your advice to them? Like, what, what do we do? Because we're, we're not there yet. We don't have the machine in our, in our households. What can we do to minimize some of the damage that we're doing to ourselves, or, or, or can we? Yeah, you can. You, what, they, what everybody out there can do right now is, there's a company out there, it's called Supply Corps. Supply Corps sells to the United States military. All my machines that are sold to the United States military are sold through Supply Corps. So if you are a local, a state, or a federal agency, and you got some contaminated water, and everyone out there who votes and puts these people in office, all you gotta do is go down and tell your local representative, you know, there's actually a technology out there that you can go buy through this company called Supply Corps and put it in my neighborhood and use my taxpayers' dollars to do it. Hmm. That was a lot of people didn't know that. Nah, for sure. They know now. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So, so at, at, at scale, how does that happen? Like, so you would, they would call Supply Corps, and Supply Corps would come in and actually put one machine, hmm. two machines. Like, how would that work? Well, they would they would order the the the, the local, state, or federal agency will order through Supply Corps. Okay. Supply Corps will call me up and they'll say, "Hey, we got an order for twenty machines." Okay. Build twenty machines. I go to work building 20 machines. So what does 20 machines service? So let's say you have a small, let's say you have the city of like Philadelphia, right? Like a, hundred, a million people, right? So how many machines do you need to service Philadelphia? Or even Chicago, right? Like, like these huge cities, how many machines would you need to be able to service all these people? These are millions of people. There's, there's a couple of things about the technology <clears throat> that uh, distinguish what I do from what other people do. 
There was never a chance, there was never an ability for this machine to grow any larger than a 20 foot ISO container. Like you saw the, what happened, what I did in Flint and Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. So that machine came in a 20 foot ISO container. It's easy to move. No, it's not. That thing weighed 26,000 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I got to stop lying. <laughs> that thing was heavy. <laughs> and I was working by myself a lot of times with it, driving right. forklifts and trucks, man. So, oh, wow. So, so the, the, the machine as it sits right now, we've, we've always been combined to a box, to a, a structure, a metal structure. And so what I did when I was in Puerto Rico, and I was selling units to the military, and then I shipped that machine over there. I was looking at that machine. I said, every time I move this thing, I got to do maintenance on it because it's just you, all these little wells and everything come apart. You know, when the guy comes in and fix your air conditioner in your house, mm -hmm. he says, you know, they got to come around the little sniffer and all that stuff. I said, I have, I have to eliminate that. And this is that thing with that uh, stream of consciousness that I have and always thinking about stuff and never stop thinking and how to make something better. Right. I sat out there underneath that machine and I thought of how to fix that problem. I got on the phone. I called my attorneys up. I said, I got a patent to file. And they said, okay, just write it out. All I had was my iPhone and the notes on my iPhone. I sat there and I wrote a patent on my iPhone tapping those little things in a notepad and send that to my attorneys. And that's the machine I built today. It's expandable. Mm. So let's, uh, you see that building right there? Which I can one? take is that, it, that, that, that tall building right there. The, the green glass one. one. The, the glass one. one. Yep. I see it. Right now I have the capability to take that building and turn that entire thing into a water generator. Okay. without increasing the energy consumption. So if I make a, here's the thing about this. If I make something that large, a water generator, if you were doing a straight HVAC, the energy consumption would just be stupid. Right. What I've actually done is I've developed, a, I've developed the technology today to the point where the larger you make it, the less energy it uses. Mm. It's, it's actually inverse of what is normal. Wow. So the larger it gets, the less energy it consumes. The units that I build today for the United States military, I'm at the, they are at a place where the, the energy consumption of the, the components inside it, they're at the far bottom end of that, of that system's operating spectrum. That thing should be somewhere in the middle. I'm just using a fraction of the power of, of the energy of that system because the system is that efficient. Right. They've, if, I, if I took that system and used 75% of the uh, power capacity in there, I would be making 10, 20 times the amount of water for that amount of, uh, that, that amount of compression that I have in that system. Wow. So you could literally make that into like a water tower. Anything. That it could have that whole building just condensing the the heck out of some water. That that there would be you'd you'd be talking ten thousand gallons an hour. Oh wow. Or more. Wow. wow. And that's what's possible now. So this 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 whole room, this whole this whole room, I could turn this whole thing into just if you stood underneath this thing, it would rain on you. And so that's rain the, man. Yeah. 
the, the so the system for so the system for city. Say you wanted to do one for Philadelphia, man, that's a humid place. I could put a system in in Philadelphia. You'd open a door, walk in there, stand in the room, and you just stand there. It'd be cold as heck, but it would rain on you in the room. Right. The whole ceiling would just rain on you, and that's all non-mechanical. Only one piece of it's mechanical. One piece of it. And that one piece that's mechanical, it, it fits in a closet. Oh, wow. That's it. And everything else is the expansion of non-mechanical parts. Wow. It's crazy, man. The possibilities, yeah. right? The possibilities are endless. Like, Because right now, right now, if I sat down with Southwest Resource Institute, MIT, I tell you what, we could turn the New Orleans Superdome into a water generator. Give everybody in the entire city water. That's how simple this is. Hmm. So when people see someone that has thought of an idea, they say, God, that dude is out there. He's freaking crazy. You know what? Though, like, if you went and asked somebody if a 747 would fly in 1920, they would have told you you were crazy. Right. Howard Hughes built an airplane called the Spruce Goose, and everybody laughed at him. And it sat at Long Beach for the longest of time until the war was over. And before he completely lost his mind, he went out there and he flew that thing one time. But everybody, all the experts said it wouldn't fly. He flew it one time and then he parked it and now it sits in a museum. Mm. So there's a lot of people out there today that are doing things. Do not, if it's got to do with sustainability and they're passionate about it, and they've proven something with it, we need to find those people and we need to support them because that's how we're gonna survive. I, I, love, I love that. Most important question, how does the water taste? There's two different tastes. <laughs> when the water's first made, by federal regulations, when it comes off the coil, I, I, I can let you have it, but I should send it to this filtration system. And so when I've been in an emergency situation, when I've been in an emergency situation, what I did was I was showing people how the machine worked and I'd opened up this big drain and all this crystal clear looking water just pours out. And everybody's like, hey, I, I want that. <laughs> and I said, hey, yeah, okay, try it. And they tried it and said, every day I come, this is what I want. I'm like, oh, okay. And then they, you can send it through the carbon filtration and that's great too. So if, when a machine is absolutely pristine, when it comes off the coil, through, if the air filters filter everything off of it, it comes through the coil, the entire machine is just pristine. You can drink it off the coil without filtration. Mm. But by federal regulations, you're supposed to filter water and you're supposed to add chlorine if it's stored. But I've always been in an emergency situation, so I've never chlorinated water. Ever. Gotcha, gotcha. Who, who, who do you look up to? Who, who, do you, who do you admire? Oh, man. There's just so many people that... Uh, Edgar Evers. He's uh, Muhammad Ali. Sam Cooke for some of the stuff that he did that a lot of people don't know. Why, uh, why do you admire Muhammad Ali? Oh, Why do you admire Muhammad Ali? That guy, he stuck to his guns. You know, he changed his name. He took a... He, uh, he had a political view of things and he stuck to it. You know, people say he was going to ruin his career. 
Yeah, his name was Cassius Clay. He changed his name to Muhammad Ali. He said he wasn't going to support the Vietnam War. He would. He didn't go. You know, I wouldn't have done that. I would have went. I would have been out there with the rest of the brothers getting shot at. But, <laughs> yeah. but for him to do that, you know, that was that was that was pretty amazing. I think uh, Einstein, for him sticking to, uh, he actually had the theory of relativity stolen from him. Someone stole it and tried to publish it, but then they couldn't talk about it intelligently enough. He got it back. And uh, yeah, it's a good guy. And there's, there's so many that right now, and it's just being put on the spot. I really can't think of all of them, but, but yeah. Uh, some of my relatives that, have, that went through so much, like my great-grandparents, both of them, Masay and Padan, I admire the heck out of them because as a little kid, they died when I was 110. Mm. Both of them were born into slavery. And I remember walking with them as a little kid down the road and hold, you stand in the middle of them holding their hands. They walked me down the road. And I just thought he was just badass dude. Uh, my uncle Walls, who uh, he told me he passed away back uh, just, at the, uh, just after, uh, I think it was 2021. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, 2001. And he said, Moses, he goes, Al, what he calls me. He goes, Al, I thought you were going to do something more with your life. <laughs> I said, so I was at Uncle Walls. I said, look, I was a ranger. I was a, I was a pilot, a test pilot. I, I've got three years of combat time. I said, I'm retired. He goes, no. He goes, when you were a little boy, he goes, you used to tell me all the time. We used to talk about science. We used to talk about technology. And we used to talk about engineering. You built models and you and I, we sat down and talked about them. And you had great ideas. He goes, I thought you were going to do something more with your life than what you've done. <sighs> His name is Lewis Walls. I was devastated. <laughs> I can imagine. I was devastated. And here I am going, getting, getting ready to get on a plane and go back to Australia. Right. And party and hang out and, you know, swim on the Great Barrier Reef. Right. And here I have my uncle telling me that he thinks I'm a loser. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is crazy. So I'm gonna name a machine after uh, Lewis Walls. Okay, okay, I like I like that. What what's what's the learning curves on building? Can, is this a DIY? Can you teach somebody how to do this if 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 they wanted to learn? They have to learn. They have to learn. They have to learn. It's like we have different currencies. We have a currency of profit. We need to make money. You need to make money. I need to make money to, to continue what I do. But then we also, a lot of us go to church or we go to a synagogue or we go to the mosque or we go to the temple. And that's the thing of the spirit of giving. And so if you have something that you know can save a man's life, help someone through a hard situation, and you want to sit back and continue to make a profit on it, I think there's a special place in hell for you. <laughs> right. There's a special place in hell. Right. Because there are so many people that are suffering today when they need to know about how simple this is. It's simple to me because I've been doing it for a long time. But this is, this is nothing that the average person out there cannot understand and start to build rudimentary devices to do the same thing. How many times when we were moving across the plains did people say, well, I got to fix my wagon. I got to figure a way to eat. I got to figure out how to get water out of the ground. So they had, they had to innovate to survive. Yeah. So now that you know that the source of water is out there, I think everybody should be trying to do this. 
Got it. What, what type of lifestyle does this does doing this afford you? One of poverty. No, I'm just. <laughs> I mean, I'm listening. <laughs> no, it affords me. Um, I, as you got to remember, I'm a retired. I'm a retired army officer. Yeah. And so a lot of my income I put into it. Like I'll go on a I'll go on a mission with the Moses West Foundation. I'll go on that mission, and people will donate to help support that mission. But it's never been enough to finish the mission. And I always wind up paying for it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but I don't mind because I'm passionate about what I do and I believe in what I do. I love that. You know, so you donate or not, I don't care. I'm yeah. still going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> talk, talk about that. Let's let's talk about the Moses West Foundation, exactly what it is and kind of the missions that you're on. So people are more have more clarity around it and how they can support that. What I do with that, that like like you just said, it's like, how do people get involved with this and how do they understand it? And with the foundation, I go to schools, I'll teach at a school, I'll take a machine to a school, I'll turn it on for them, I'll show the little kids how it works, I'll teach them about sustainability. If there's an emergency situation and I've got a big piece of gear, like right now, I would love to have 50 of these large machines that I built. And right now, I can put out double the water input of what I did in Puerto Rico. So in that same footprint of that machine that went to Puerto Rico into Flint, and the one in Flint took care of the whole fourth ward. Mm. We gave free water to everybody in the fourth ward, a whole neighborhood. Yeah, There's that model for the city. That right, you right, right. On the island of Vieques, we gave water to 5,000 families. But you got to remember, each family has how many people? A lot. A lot of people. So let's say about 15,000 people were drinking that water. Yeah. And so right now... On the foundational side, what would be great would be to have about 50 of these machines. I can't go back anymore. I, I don't want to deploy anymore. And then so everybody who wants to take a machine and go help somebody, it could be a foundation, it could be a church, it could be a neighborhood. You just come to me. I give you the machine. I give you the training. I give you everything you need. We'll set up the for support structure for you when you get there and just go save somebody's life. Mm. Go help somebody. Go to Newark. Go to Los Angeles. Go, go to the San Joaquin Valley. Go to Arizona to a town. Don't, don't make me have to come every time. Right. Let me teach you how to do what I've been doing. Right. Because that's how necessary I think it is. And so on the foundational side of the house, that's the place that I would like to get to. Just to have a store of machines. Get a whole bunch of high school kids come up. Of course, weed them out. Uh, weed them out. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Give the machine. Get different neighborhood organizations together so people start talking to each other again because there's that thing that we, we come to again about the canteen and passing it around with water. The water is the great equalizer. And it's the one thing we all need. And it's, it, it builds bridges. So we got kids from the south side of Chicago working with kids from L.A., working with kids from Boulder, Colorado. Right. Working from kids from private schools and all out there together without their parents giving them bad information, freaking figuring out how to do this stuff. And that's what the found. That's what I want the foundation to do. Got it. Because we're all going to have to pull through together and work on this. And so that's one of the best places to start is with water. In this technology for sure so in a, in a place like 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 the situation in flint so you you guys are out there providing water but then you're not you you leave so what happens then 
Like once you guys are gone and once people who know how to work the machine, people still, they can't use it anymore, right? How, how does that work? What needs to happen is the, the for something like that, you, the state would need to get involved. The donations would need to keep coming in. You got to replace the old technology. You got to put new technology in. You need to build a more permanent solution. Then you need to pull bring people out of the disenfranchised neighborhood. They've been severely beaten down. Right. Uh, if we can go to any neighborhood in the United States and you can see that there's not only do they need good food and good water, but they need good stewardship, mentorship. People need to stay and stay on the ground and help people to raise up. And sometimes you have to change a way of thinking for a whole group of people in certain places to help them to work for themselves. Mm. And so having a foundation where we can go stay on the ground, take these kids in and educate them. And one sad thing about Flint, I got to tell you, I uh, cried my eyes out after about three days. I had to just turn away. I climbed on top of that big machine. I laid flat and I cried because what I saw was incredible. For someone to say that there's a safe, safe level of lead to have in water, after about three days of giving people water and people bringing their kids up, like, what's wrong with these kids? What's wrong with all these three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? What's wrong with them? I'm. Uh, this is not an exaggeration. Every kid in that neighborhood that I saw was cognitively impaired mm. to the point where their parents would leave them with me because they knew that I was out there in the open and they trusted me. People say, well, can you watch our kids today? And I'm like, sure, you can leave them in the field. Right. They didn't move. They didn't move. So taking the kids that from neighborhoods that need to, uh, that can work this technology or you can teach them science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and have them operate this technology. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Some heavy stuff, man. Heavy stuff. Um, this, this whole thing has been heavy. Yeah. Every place I've gone is heavy. I mean, I haven't been to a place yet where this technology is not heavy. You're right. Because that's the thing. You're, you're, you're coming. When, you, when they need you, it's a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when, yeah. when they call you, you're not coming into a good situation mm -hmm. ever. No, no, no. Even in Puerto Rico. I mean, in, in Puerto Rico, on the island of Vieques, they were shooting people up the street from me and down the street from me. When I was in Flint, uh, luckily, when I was there, uh, there wasn't much shooting going on around me. But there, there, was, there was a fair bit of violence. And then on the island of Vieques, I tell you, there was one point in time where a guy came up to me one day and he goes, you should be happy and don't worry about anything. I said, why is that? He goes, man, nobody wants to kill the water guy. <laughs> I was like, Jesus. I'm on an island, man, in the Atlantic, and a guy comes up and tells me nobody wants to kill me because I'm the water guy. Because you're the water guy, huh? When's the next plane out of here? <laughs> <laughs> wow, 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 wow. That's, this, this is really amazing, man. A lot to really like wrap your head around. Just all the aspects of it, the science part of it, the social impact part of it. It's just a lot going on. Um, and I and and I think that people really need to start taking this seriously. That's why I wanted to have you on the platform just 
to change the pace a little bit and just to talk about something that's every day that people don't think about that, you know, we need to start thinking about. You know a good way to think about that? How? Water's like air. It's like air. Have you thought about air the whole time we've been sitting here? Not at all. Not one time. Just been sucking it up. That's right. Take it away. Right. If you take it away, you're going to be thinking about air real quick. Water is the same way. People don't miss it till they don't have it. And right now, there's a lot of people that don't have it. I, tr I tried years ago to get people to understand. The only people who understood was the United States military. They're doing okay. But everybody else right now, hey, it's a, they say it's a good position to be in, be getting blown up like that. No, it's not. It's a very stressful position to be in because I care. I, I can't help all the people now that are asking me for help. I just can't do it. Right. It's a, the, the, this global situation is just, it's bad with water. It's bad. It's, and, and it's climate change. And we're, what, we're, what I'm seeing today with climate change, I, I shouldn't have lived this long to see this. We're seeing stuff that should have been happening when I was 110, 120. So what's, what's going to be happening then? It's happening today. What's your understanding of what's going on with the climate? There, there's a place where they, they, we call it a tipping point, a tipping point where you, you go to a place where you can't come back. We've, we've gone past the tipping point. And you can't get many people to admit that. But we, we are there. When you, have, when you have the West Coast of the United States, right now they've got a torrential, I heard about a torrential flood they've got going on in Los Angeles or in California right now. Torrential rain's coming down. Everyone says, oh, the water's coming back. They've had years of forest fires, right? Right. So when the hills are bare and there's no grass up there and there's a bunch of ash, what's going to happen? Mm. Mudslides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mudslides and all the chemicals and everything that was up there is going to wash down. So you have two effects of climate change right there. Mm. So what I see with happening with the climate right now, we're in a place where We've got to start coming up instead of complaining about this, complaining about where we're at and start of uh, feeling sorry for where we're at or just hiding our heads in the sand. Now's the place where we need that Marshall Plan to get forward, take technologies like this, solar, wind, hydroponics, grow food, get rid of the food deserts in the inner city, get people healthy again. Yeah. We got to get proactive, man. Yeah, this is this is a learning this is a learning moment for civilization. Instead of just like curling up in a little ball and saying, "Whoa, is me?" No, nah, man. It's like it's just time to get a kick in the ass and get up and go do something. Yeah. Will will, will big corporations support that type of uh, natural? Um, I don't know what to even call it, but what you're basically talking about, or, or is there too much greed? Is, is, does that have anything to do with it? Oh, I think greed always has something to do with it. Greed is part part of the reason how we got to where we are today. Right. You know, we know we we knew that we should have stopped doing some of these things that we we're doing, but even I'm guilty. You know. Yeah. I I, I drive a car that looks like a hillbilly special, man. It's got, <laughs> it's got big mud tires on it. You know. Right. right I want right. to be able to jump off the highway and go over the berms and the curves to get away from people. You know. Yeah. 
but uh, yeah, it should have a be thinking more um, environmentally conscious in what I do, yeah. other than just organic food and composting and you know and and recycling. We need to we need to all do that because we're 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 definitely destroying the planet. Life as it was before, we cannot continue to do that anymore. When we when we say we throw something away, that's over. There's no more away. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's crazy. Away is gone. Away is no longer there. Oh my goodness, man, Moses. This has been a, a, a awesome conversation to say the least, man. I, I've I've learned a lot. Even in the, prior to us beginning talking, we were you know talking and. Just learn so much, man. He's such an interesting guy. I feel like I could, there's like so many layers to you that I could probably like unpeel and um, learn more. But I think we have enough. I think All right. I, I think we know what we need to know. Um, so you know, in true truck and hustle fashion, we always like to have our guests give a, a final thought, which is basically like you know just. Uh, entrepreneurial thought or spiritual, you know, whatever, whatever you want to kind of leave them with, you know, whatever that last jewel you want to kind of leave them with. And then most importantly, just let everybody know where they can, you know, learn more about you, connect with you and and support what you're doing. Um, you know, we'll kind of leave them with that and then we'll, we'll wrap, man. Sounds good. Yeah. I'll leave everybody with this. There's uh there's no such thing as a problem. There's only opportunities. No such thing as a problem, only an opportunity. Never let anybody tell you that you cannot succeed. Never let anybody tell you that you are a failure. Never give up. Always push forward. Even when you think it is like the darkest day that you've ever had. I tell you what, go to sleep, wake up, get up the next day push on. I've learned these things over years, especially like as a ranger, there's days I thought I could not take another step. And a guy would say to me, can you open your eyes? And you open your eyes, you bat your eyes at him. He goes, you got enough energy to open your eyes. You got enough energy to walk another 50 miles, get up. Mm. So what I leave with you is just uh, your spirit, your determination that you have, your drive. If you have an idea and you like it and you know that it's viable, don't let anyone tell you it's not. Push on because you will succeed. And then where can they connect with you? You can connect with me at uh, the Moses West Foundation. And you can connect with me at AWG Contracting. Uh, you can connect with me uh, through some of the universities, the University of Texas, uh, uh, Texas A&M. Uh, they've got some programs that they work on that they're actually teaching now. And... Those are mainly two places right now. Man, love it. If you can't respect that, your whole perspective is whack. You know what we do around this time, Hustle fam. If you smell something burning, it's only a desire. This has been one for the history books. Myself, Mr. West, Moses West, we are out. If you twisted, confused, or stuck about trucks, don't be dumb, this is the place to come. Truck and hustle. Let's go!